of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. All right, let's put um, the final bow on top of the Ohio State Buckeyes. Wrap that baby up and give it away. Uh, And we do so by bringing in a guy who's been with them from day one this year and saw them blow uh, a fourth-quarter lead in the Peach Bowl and losing to Georgia 42-41. And they're in the locker room afterwards and still with them, uh, covering them to see who leaves via the transfer portal, which may be late recruits they get in. I'm talking about Steve Hellwagon from Bucknuts.com joining us right now. Steve, Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing good, guys. What's going on? Well, we figured we'd get you on since we chatted all year long about this team, uh, before games, after games, and uh, we've talked to a number of different people about the Peach Bowl, the 42-41 loss uh, to Georgia. I'm curious to get your thoughts on it now after it's marinated for a few days as you look back on that. Was it indeed uh, a missed opportunity? Did they choke, or did the injuries finally catch up to them? How, How do you see it now looking back on it? Oh, that's that's a great question. I think you could look at it a lot of ways, but I think first and foremost, a huge missed opportunity. My goodness, you're up 14 points at the end of the third quarter. Uh, the parallel I use, people remember a couple weeks ago, Ohio State basketball played North Carolina in New York City, and the freshman Bryce Sensenbaugh scored with two seconds to go to put them up two points, and North Carolina had to go the length of the court. That's a game. Ohio State needs to win 100 out of 100 times, and they didn't win it. When you're right. up 14 points going to the fourth quarter in the national semifinal game, that's a game Ohio State needs to win 100 out of 100 times, and they didn't win it. So, Amen. I don't know. It, it, it got messy there in the fourth quarter. I think there were a lot of turning points, obviously. Some guys uh, from Ohio State that got injured in the course of the game who they really missed, including the tight end, Kate Stover. And most especially the wide receiver, uh, Marvin Harrison. I've been working for four days trying to get some type of a clarification from somebody who supervises officiating in college football and can't get anywhere with anybody to tell me exactly what happened to make them pick up the uh, targeting uh, foul that was occurred there that uh, put Marvin Harrison Jr. out of the game. And that was a tremendous turning point because instead of getting a first down at the three-yard line and going on and scoring a touchdown and going ahead by 18. They had to kick the field goal that only left them up 14 at the end of the third quarter, and certainly that was an easier uh, margin for Georgia to overcome uh, as it wore on. But, you know, again, these games, my goodness, almost a four-hour game. So many plays happened in the course of the game. Uh, injuries on both teams. I mean, you know, they played to a virtual standoff and Georgia ended up with one more point than Ohio State. I think Ohio State was validated for being there. I think that uh, there were a lot of questions, should Alabama have had that spot? And Alabama did play a great bowl game, uh, whoever it was that they played in the Sugar Bowl and just blasted the Kansas State, blowout. Kansas State, yeah, the Big 12 champion. That's good for them. But Ohio State showed they belonged and showed they deserved to be there. And 
in the final, final analysis of it, guys, they did not have a national championship yeah. caliber defense. And that's what let him down, I think, in the end. You could have stole it. And I don't think Georgia had a national caliber defense as well. My, my question has got to be this, Steve. You know, on, on this game, and we know there's been a month off in between the last game and time to think about what happened in the Michigan game and everything else. Uh, the adjustments or things that worked on the offense led you to score 41 points. Could have been more than that. Versus this defense. For three quarters, this defense, I'm not going to say they played lights out. But they played good enough to win. What was Jim Knowles thinking about in that fourth quarter? Oh, and boy. did it resemble the same defense that we saw with the zero coverages in that Michigan game? Was it the same in the fourth quarter? Yeah, I think it's a play that uh, Lathan Ransom slipped and the receiver went 76 yards, very reminiscent yep. of the long touchdown pass that occurred in the, the Michigan game when Cam Brown missed on the tackle almost the exact same scenario where a guy at the line of scrimmage misses and the receiver is off to the races. And that, you know, again, as we talk about another turning point in this game, I mean, it's a 14-point deficit, and that swings it back down to single digits, you know. And it, and, and now it's anybody's game. So, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, a messy, messy game. That's just how you kind of have to look at it. And, uh, you know, I, I agree. I think – uh, Knowles, you know, I talked about last week, maybe before the game, how he was kind of lulled into believing he had better players than they actually had with the way their defense played in the first uh, 10 games of the season when they didn't play anybody. I mean, those offenses, you could put an all-star team together of the offenses <laughs> that they played the first 10 weeks of the season, other than the Toledo quarterback and maybe one or two guys from Penn State. You could put an all-star team of the other nine offenses together and they still weren't going to score any points against Ohio State. But then you get in against Maryland, and Maryland's a good offensive team. And Tagovailoa took some big plays against them, and certainly Michigan yep. did. So, you know, you just look at it and you say, they got to get better. And 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 I'm not ready to, to say get rid of Jim Knowles yet. I think that they uh, they got to get to work and find some better players and develop the guys they've got and uh, fill the holes that they're going to have. So that's uh, that's the big thing to me. Steve, I mentioned this to my partner JT the other day on the radio. I want to get your thoughts on it. If this was Jim Knowles' third or fourth year and not just his first year, based on 87 points and 1,060 yards in the last two games, both losses to top five teams, would he be fired? That's a good question. I think yes. Probably the answer is yes, because that those results are not acceptable. Certainly not if the ultimate goal is to try and break through and win a national championship. And, you know, it, it, it just, it, you know, whether it was scheme, personnel, a uh, combination of, of the two, execution, however you want to look at it, they just didn't get the job done. And, you know, it's easy to be real flippant and say, oh, they got to go do this, go do that, you know. You know, I look at the Browns, and everybody wants to fire the coach every 11 months, whether they need to or not, or fire the, fire the general manager and the coach and get a new quarterback. And, you know, at some point, you know, and I'm not putting my vote in that they should keep Stefanski or not because I watch the games kind of, you know, skittish half the time anyway. But, right. Uh, I, you know, I just I find it hard that you that you get better by uprooting every sixteen months. So mm-hmm. I don't know. You got you got to put something in place and let it see if it populates. But uh, yeah, that can't go on a whole lot, heck of a lot longer if uh, if they're not going to get much better. So 
you know, everybody goes into this next year eyes wide open. I mean, it is what yeah. it is. And, uh, you know, is, is this a national championship in 2023? I'm sure we can talk about that. But, you know, they're going to be pretty good. they got a lot of good players coming back. Got to find somebody at quarterback fill some holes on the offensive line and, and get better on defense. So those are probably the three emphases I would look at for next year. Steve, all season long, and we looked at this defense and we said maybe one of the weak points, not only of the defense, maybe of the whole team was a secondary. I want to ask you about seven banks. When seven banks decided to put himself through the transfer portal, I guess my real question is why, why would you leave a secondary where you know you're going to get a lot of reps and go elsewhere uh, versus, and now we're, I think we're targeting some guys in the transfer portal to come in and play in the secondary. I saw somewhere there's a kid from, uh, I believe, Syracuse coming in. Why did Seven Banks leave or want out? We were talking about J.K. Johnson this year. Seven Banks was last year. Okay. I, yeah, J.K. Johnson is the guy you're thinking of. He started five games this year. And, uh, you know, that's a good question. I, I don't know if during bowl practice, if he sensed that, uh, you know, they had Cameron Brown, who's leaving, and Denzel Burke, who's coming back for his third year, he'll be a starter. And uh, so Brown's spot is open, but perhaps during bowl practice, he just sensed that uh, a couple of the other guys, Jordan Hancock, who'd been getting healthy, and even the freshman, Jair Brown, who got to play a little bit in the, uh, the game against Georgia, maybe they had moved by him, and uh, he had decided that uh, he wanted to, you know, try to see him somewhere else. I can't, I can't speak for him. I don't know what he's thinking, but you would think a competitor would, would say, Hey, I'm in position to be that starter. You know, why, why not, you know, why not take my shot? But uh, yeah, they are going out trying to find some transfer portal players. They got Jahad Carter, who is a safety from Syracuse, a three-year starter for the orange. They'll have two years left because of his COVID uh, extra year of eligibility so he's going to come in, uh, you know, and, and provide some experience at one of the safety positions. They lose Ronnie Hickman. He's going to the NFL, apparently, as well as uh, Tanner McAllister. That was his last year. And then Lathan Ransom, it's kind of up in the air whether or not he's coming back or not. But, you know, I look at those positions. I say those are positions where you need upgrades. You need guys, uh, you know, and I think uh, this guy, Jihad Carter, could be a guy. You got some young studs on the roster like Sonny Styles, the All-American high school player, uh, who could be ready to, to to move in next year. So uh, they're going to take it in a new direction, and uh, got to hope it's a better direction. You need you need better players across the board, and the ones that are coming back got to get developed and improved. No doubt about it. Happy to have with us Steve Hellwagon, outstanding Buckeyes beat reporter, BuckNuts.com. Follow him on Twitter uh, at Steve Hellwagon. Steve. Uh, since the game ended, uh, we've seen various reports about Ryan Day willing to give up offensive play-calling duties to focus more as the head coach on the team and hopefully on that crappy defense uh, and help Jim Knowles to get his head out of his you-know-what and stop playing cover zero against the better teams. Uh, what do you make of that? And if that is the case, who would be calling plays, uh, you think, next year for the Buckeyes as the O.C.? Yeah, that's a great question in of itself. I mean, they've already elevated Keenan Bailey uh, to be the new tight ends coach to replace Kevin Wilson, who's leaving, who was the offensive coordinator. And so there really isn't an opening on the staff to bring in an offensive guru right now unless you know, the NCAA has talked about increasing the size of the coaching staff. Maybe that's something if, if they think that's going to happen, they'd still hire somebody to be just strictly the offensive coordinator, which perhaps that's, that's in the offing. I, I honestly don't know. 
But I think what seems more likely is that they're going to put uh, Brian Hartline and, and Justin Fry, you know, two of the top up and coming, you know, uh, assistant coaches in the country in those roles, maybe as a co-coordinator or whatever, and uh, let those guys hash it out. I would think maybe Fry calling plays with Hartline, you know, right there alongside with him as a co-coordinator. And then uh, Ryan Day is kind of the editor, you know, so to speak, behind the scenes to say yes to this and no to that. So, uh, you know, I honestly don't know. It's he, You know, if we take what Kirk Herbstreet says at face value on the Rose Bowl pregame show, it's going in a new direction. And for him to have told Herbstreet that before they played Georgia was fairly remarkable because, you know, you're losing Kevin Wilson already. And, you know, it just seemed, you know, if anybody was going to take it over, you would have thought it would have been Kevin Wilson. But, um, you know, obviously Wilson's going to be the head coach at Tulsa. But, uh, yeah, I'm interested, just like everybody else, to see what uh, what the next story is on this because it's going to go in a completely new direction. We know that. Steve, as I, I look at this football program, and I'll bring the comparison uh, that I did the other day with the Cleveland Guardians, then the Indians, when you get that close to winning, right, you've got to, and you should have won the game. We heard Kirby Smart even say that after the game. You've got to win those games. And this organization, and I call them that because they are a multi-million dollar organization, the Ohio State football program, they have had so much talent over the years, and all they have to show for it since 1969, Steve, is two national championships in 02 and 14. Uh, just as a guy who covers them on a daily basis, what do you think is, is lacking or missing for, for them to be the Alabama or the Clemson, which won multiple in a short period of time, or the Georgia, which is looking to go back-to-back? Back yeah, I think when you look at it in just this one isolated incident, and it's a different story every year, I think you have to go back to 2019 and 2020 and look at the players that they recruited on defense and just realize it was not up to national championship uh, capability. And that's what the product was you put out on the field. There haven't been enough blue chip players recruited on the defensive side of the football. Now, the last couple of years, they've tried to alleviate that. They brought right. in JT Tui Malowal. They brought in... Uh, Jack Sawyer, Sonny Styles last year, C.J. Hicks. So they've got four or five blue-chip guys now on defense, and next year's the time where it takes root. And, you know, J.K. Johnson, believe it or not, was one of those guys, and he's leaving. He was a national top 50, top 60 type player, and for whatever reason, you know, didn't, didn't make it past a year and a half in the program. So, uh, you know, I again, it's a people business. That's what it all comes back to, talent is is going to trump just about everything else you can have great scheme and you can work really hard but it, you know talent's going to win out you know if talent works hard <laughs> it's hard to beat talent so <laughs> you know the bigger stronger faster x's and o's typically do better at that high high end level so uh that's what ohio state's been lacking on defense you know and you go back i mean you know just two years ago they 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 did beat clemson in the national semifinal game they beat you know, Trevor Lawrence and Clemson two years ago to go play Alabama. But, you know, the team was racked by COVID. And that was a great Alabama team, too. I mean, you talk about Mac Jones and Devontae Smith and everybody that they had uh, on that team. That was, a, that was a really good team, too. So, uh, you know, last year, obviously, uh, they win the Rose Bowl after losing a couple games of regular season this year, lose to Michigan and lose to, uh, obviously, now Georgia. And, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. You're, you're, in the, you're in the deep end of the pool, 
But, uh, you know, it'd be great to win, win one more or two or more of these games every now and then. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Steve, you mentioned the fact that you're trying to track down, uh, track down the head of officiating and see why there wasn't a call made in the end zone. <laughs> you, you, you piqued my interest here when you mentioned that Clemson game a couple of years ago. How about when you get the, a hold of this guy, you ask him about the other Clemson game and say, why is it the two big games in a row Buckeyes can't get a call? Yeah, I agree with you because you compare what happened. Uh, oh. You know, uh, Sean Wade basically hitting Trevor Lawrence in the chest. And, you know, this thing where this guy, uh, Bullard or whatever his name was from Georgia, just lowers the boom mm-hmm. on Marvin Harrison, who up until that point was the co-MVP of the game with C.J. Stroud. The two best players on the field were, you know, Stroud and Harrison. And this guy is allowed to lower the boom on Harrison, knock him out of the game, not make a play on the football. I thought these were the plays that we were trying, the hits that they were trying to legislate out of the game. And yet, you know, not only is this guy allowed to stay in the game, the targeting penalty gets picked up. Georgia goes on and wins the game, and this guy's the defensive MVP. I mean, are you, are you trying to trying to tell me a joke or something here? I just mm-hmm. I don't understand it. So, yeah, I think. Uh, and again, you know, there's a lot of people that look at these things in the scarlet and gray glasses and say, "Hell yes, that was targeting." Hell yeah, you know. Sure. I, I honestly, I I don't I don't think what we, we we've said this for five years now. I don't think we know what targeting is. I mean, you you see it like we saw the Bryson Shaw hit in the USC game with Tulane, and you thought, man, that's targeting, and then it wasn't. Well, you know, it's like what? In my opinion, on? though, Steve, it doesn't have to be a target call to be a personal foul. You can't hit anyone above the shoulders. Roughness. Yes, unnecessary roughness. They so, could have most certainly mm-hmm. called that because. Uh, and why is he not deemed a defenseless receiver? He's trying to. Right. He's looking up in the air, trying to field this blooper ball that <laughs> Stroud is yeah. up for grabs and he gets blasted into next week. I yeah. mean, what, what part of that is he not defenseless? I, I, I well, we'll never I know. know. We'll never know. We, we'll know. never know this either though, but you know, coming into this season, the expectations were extremely high and maybe because you open up the season with Notre Dame and it wasn't the game that we all thought it would be, even though you won, maybe we want to give more credit to Notre Dame at that time. They were ranked fifth in the country. You beat them, you go away. Maybe they got too, uh, read too many of their press clippings or whatever. They never really seemed to play the complete game until basically, in my opinion, the loss to Georgia. But my question is this looking forward. Next season, you're looking at a team that only gets six home games. You don't open up with Notre Dame. You've got Indiana, Youngstown State, Western Kentucky, and then Notre Dame. Better to get them in the fourth game, the Irish, or to open up the season and how does that make for the rest of the season, I guess? Yeah, I think it's going to work out better for him because the quarterback, whoever it may be, if it's uh, Kyle McCord or, or Devin Brown, will have a couple, two, three games under their belt. Uh, perhaps they both play in some of those early games till they, you know, if they haven't necessarily figured it out who it's going to be. It's kind of telling to me that they're going to the portal looking for uh, offensive linemen, most certainly, maybe a defensive lineman. They just picked up a safety. And uh, yet I haven't heard many rumblings about him going in looking for a quarterback. So, you know, Ryan Day uh, and, and Corey Dennis, the quarterback's coach, have spent a lot of time working with McCord and Brown. So they must be believing that, that one of those guys can, can take it over. As an aside to that, you've just played four seasons with two of the better quarterbacks you're ever going to have there. 
with uh, Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud, and you didn't win a national championship. But uh, I said this on our live show earlier today. I was like, you know, it's still possible. Tennessee did not win one with Peyton Manning, but some little-known guy known as T. Martin came in the next year with the same team, and and they won it in 98. And uh, his name's on a uh, street outside Neyland Stadium down there (laughs) in Knoxville, Tennessee. So, you know, if people forget about him. Everybody thinks about Peyton Manning was the great Tennessee legend, but uh, maybe you win it with an unheralded quarterback, uh, you know, one of these upcoming years. I don't know. But uh, they got a good nucleus of guys, Marvin Harrison, Mecca Buka, Trevion Anderson, perhaps Mayan Williams, uh, Dallin Hayden. That's all your skill position right there. We just covered it. I mean, it should be pretty good if they stay healthy. So uh, get some guys together on the offensive line improvement on defense and find a quarterback and, you know, 10, 11, 12 wins. That's, that's the neighborhood they should be back in next year. Steve Hellwagon, our guest here on the Kenny and JT show. All right, Steve, uh, let's put the, the Buckeyes football team to rest. Now, what about the basketball team? I saw Bryce Sensabaugh named freshman of the week for the third consecutive week that came out yesterday. They're back in the top 25. Once again, they're 10 and three, they're two and zero uh, in the big 10, just your early thoughts uh, on this uh, Buckeyes hoops team. Well, they're getting healthy, and I think that that is really paying dividends. They've had some guys in and out of the lineup. Isaac Likely, who's been kind of the co-point guard with the freshman, uh, Bruce Thornton, was away from the team dealing with some personal issues back home in Texas. He's been back. So they had all hands on deck on Sunday. They went to Northwestern, and Northwestern had won five games in a row, including a win at Michigan State. And Ohio State went in there and dominated. Got ahead 34-8 to to start the game and uh, won by 16 on Saturday at Northwestern. So Northwestern's going to beat some teams in the Big Ten at home, but they didn't even factor at all against Ohio State. So that was a good sign. And now uh, tomorrow night, Thursday night, the country will be watching on Fox Sports 1, 7 p.m. It's Ohio State moved into the poll at number 24. They're going to play number one, Purdue. Now Purdue, obviously, uh, back in the poll, number one for the fourth straight week on uh, Monday, but then promptly went out Monday night and got beat by a point at home here uh, by uh, Rutgers. So uh, they're going to be spitting mad coming in here uh, to Columbus uh, tomorrow night, and they've got the big 7-4 guy, uh, Zach Eady. Ohio State's going to have 6-8 Zetki giving up eight inches trying to <laughs> trying to check him. He's going to look like a midget standing next to him, if, if I'm allowed to say that. I apologize if I'm not, but uh, – He's going to hey, it's small. better He's than Kyle to... Young having to guard him like last year, I think, right? Yeah. And Kyle not only yeah. was giving up inches, but he was giving up pounds as well last year. Yes. yes, and so, you know, Ohio State played them right down to the last play last year, and their guy who went off to the NBA, uh, Ivy, hit a uh, three-pointer, I think, at the buzzer to win that game last year. Otherwise, yeah. it was headed to overtime, so... These teams play some great games against each other typically, and I know the odds came out to win the Big Ten championship. You know, now that they're starting conference play exclusively now, Purdue was the favorite, uh, you know, odds-on favorite, and Ohio State was the second favorite, which is kind of wow. interesting. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Ohio State's already 2-0 and in Big Ten play. So uh, if they can win that one tomorrow, it'd be a win over a number one team for second year in a row because they beat Duke at home last year when they were number one. And, uh you know, again, not trying to get too wrapped up in what happens in January because this team's really faltered a lot through the years in March, and that's when, uh, you know, that's when the story is written. But uh, 
kind of like the trajectory they're on if they keep everybody healthy. Steve, we always appreciate the time and the insight. Happy New Year, my friend. Uh, we'll talk again somewhere down the road as basketball really heats up and if there are any interesting stories happening with the football team. Thanks for joining us all season, pal. All right, guys. Take care. Steve Hellwagon, Bucknuts.com, checking in with us here on the Kenny and JT Show. Back with more after this.